0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas DiAugusto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Jane Wells to the show. Jane is an award-winning broadcast journalist with over 30 years' experience in the news media. She has worked all over the country, moving up from local news stations to national ones, but it is at CNBC, her current employer, where she has spent the bulk of her career developing features, special reports, and contributing to breaking news coverage. Among her many awards, Jane received a Peabody in 1992 for her role in the live coverage of the Rodney King trial. Jane is also a podcaster having developed the Strange Success franchise for CNBC and now self-producing her new podcast, the Top Story Tonight franchise, the latest iteration of which focuses on Jesus with Jane's modern twist. We're going to hear all about that and a lot more. Welcome to the show, Jane. Woo-hoo!
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Oh, Jane. It's a pleasure. (laughs) It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm so glad that I've gotten to meet you through our, our mutual friend, John Lockhart. It's been a real pleasure. I've been very impressed. Getting to watch you. And we've done certain live shows, online virtual shows, talking about podcasts. And I've enjoyed getting to know your career. And I'm I'm impressed by you and I'm excited to get to learn more about you.
1: Well, thank you. The Feelings Mutual, you're such a, a genuine person, and that's hard to find, especially in Hollywood, as you know.
0: Well, thank you very much. So tell us a little bit about just the basics. What is the show and and why did you come up with it? How did you conceive Top Story Tonight, Jesus?
1: Well, it is the retelling of the life of Jesus, arguably the most famous man who ever lived, as if modern media and social media existed 2,000 years ago. So you've got cable news and Instagram, and Herod is tweeting at 3 a.m. about fake news of the king of the Jews (laughs) being born. and We have all this kind of stuff chasing around. First in the Christmas story, there are two episodes out for that now, and then in the spring we'll have four episodes for Easter, trying to figure out who is this guy? Is he real? Is he a commie? Is, you know that kind of thing. He wow. makes out with fallen women, and there's a long story behind it. But basically, this is something I had wanted to do for the Old Testament, and all the stars seemed to align to do it for Jesus. And I hired a cast of two dozen voiceover actors at a Kickstarter campaign, and I think it's hysterical. I think at times it's very thoughtful. In between the scripted and breaking news bits, I also talked to some theologians and biblical historians who provide some context about uh, the first century Judea and what we really know about a man called Jesus. And why would you believe any of it?
0: Well, I alluded to wanting to talk to you more about this later, but I think I have to know a little bit now. How does you live with the tension of having to represent all these disparate points of view on this subject. So one of the things that we do being raised, you know, as I was raised Catholic, we associate ourselves with the defense of the idea and the adherence to the, to the joy and the love and the belief and the faith of that idea. But you're really bringing in all of the points of view into one show. You know, you have to represent with authenticity the most critical side as well as the most faithful side. Am I right?
1: I think it's pretty much a reflection of the attention in my own faith journey. Oh my gosh, I'm already getting choked up talking about this. What are we like? Three minutes in, Nicholas. Good job.
0: Oh, thanks.
1: (laughs) So I wanted it to be a podcast for believers and non-believers, for people who are interested in history, interested in religion, interested in this man that so many people have committed so many acts in his name. And we could argue, well, I don't think we would argue a lot of those acts would not be things Jesus would do.
0: Right. There's quite the spectrum.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And it's been, I'll tell you, when I first started it, and we can go later into the whole backstory of how it came about. But I decided when I was going to do this to reread the Gospels, not as a Christian, but as a reporter. And... That was such a different way to read them and wow. to start saying, well, this is not logical. This is not rational. And it takes me back into my early adulthood. I was, one of my majors at USC was philosophy. And I found myself very drawn to the a group of philosophers called the British empiricists, where all we know, all I know is that I am. Mm. All and everything else around me I'm not sure that's real. All I know is I'm aware of my own consciousness. So when you come from a Christian upbringing and find yourself to that sort of total, uh, you know, you're going to have to prove everything to me. It's very challenging. And you realize then, all right, I'm going to have to make a choice. One of my professors at USC, Dallas Willard, who was a very well-known Christian thinker. And I said to him, how is it while I'm in class? I question all of this. And then I can go outside and say, look at the sky and nature and say, no, I believe God. I believe there is a God. I believe this.
0: Mm-hmm. He says,
1: well, that's what you. That's up to you. But most philosophers were also believers. So they found a way to bridge that tension. And it really is a matter of choice. I think in times, we're getting way ahead here, but I think sure, times, go ahead, I've though. decided, I've decided, you know what? None of it makes sense. What if it's not true? And I look around and every cell in my body rebels against that idea. Mm. And I look at my children. I look at a flower. I look at the bees. I look at just this diversity of life. I look at the stars at night, you know, Jupiter and Saturn and Mars. You can see it's been a wonderful year for seeing the planet. Then I think, mm, this, this just didn't happen. So i made the choice to believe which, of course, faith is what being sure of what you hope for is certain of what you do not see. I've made that choice to believe in the face of all logic, earthly logic with whatever percentage of our brain we're using is not there. It's saying it's not true. So I approached this project with that tension. And I think you've come away from listening to it at the end, knowing I believe, but that I have chosen to believe not that it's so clear. People will say, oh yeah, you can prove this. You can prove that. No, you can't. But what was interesting is in the research finding out that there were mentions of Jesus outside the Bible, particularly by a couple of Roman elites who were talking about these new Christians. And the famous first century historian Josephus mentions Jesus twice, though there is a big debate over whether or not he actually did or somebody added that later, some Christian scribe later. But those are the things we go through. And in the end, I always go back to, you had these remaining 11 apostles stuck in this room, terrified. Their Messiah, their Savior, is dead. They saw him. They saw him killed by Rome. They're hiding in a room, terrified they're next. And then within days or weeks later, they're all out there in public saying, he's alive, he's alive, He's, he's God. Why would they do that? Why would they suddenly all go insane and put themselves at great risk, which ended up costing many of them their lives? And that's something that I always come back to, like, that, that switch that went on. How did that happen?
0: Oh, that's very powerful, Jane. It's really beautiful. And very compelling and I think a wonderful sell of why we should all be listening and tuning in, not to mention what you opened it with, which is that it just sounds like it's gonna be very entertaining.
1: It's hilarious. Her- Herod's hilarious. Just the guy who plays Harrod is <laughs> hysterical.
0: Jane, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate you sharing. I'm so glad you're here. And now I gotta know about breakfast. What'd you eat?
1: Same thing I always have. I'm so boring. I had half of a sprouted wheat bagel from Trader Joe's with some peanut butter and some French vanilla coffee. If you wanted to poison me, that's (laughs) just good in that. I have it every day. I'm a creature of habit when it comes to breakfast. And when I do switch a habit, which I do over 10 years, then that becomes my habit for the next 10 years. So I can't explain it, but that's what I had.
0: Two things. One, do you get your peanut butter and the French vanilla also from Trader Joe's?
1: Of course, of course, of course. Okay, good. Now you know where to go find me if you want to hunt me down.
0: All right, very good. I won't ask what neighborhood. The other thing is, what inspires a switch after ten years? How do you get a new breakfast routine?
1: Okay, all I can figure out is, and I've thought about this, Nicholas. Something has disrupted the habit. Either something wasn't available, or and I had to try something else. You're
0: traveling, or something.
1: Yeah, or I but the habit I had before was to go to Western Bagel and get uh, a sun-dried tomato bagel toasted with very easy on the light cream cheese. I would must have done that for 15 years every morning. Wow. But for some reason, I think I, at Western Bagel, I couldn't get there because they're open 365 days a year. So they weren't closed. Maybe my husband brought home these trays. I don't know what it is, but that happened. That had to happen seven or eight years ago. And it's been that ever since.
0: So you're... Not quite due, but you're nearing a new <laughs> seismic shift in your breakfast.
1: Uh, yes. Feel free uh, to tweet me at Jane Wells <laughs> with <a> suggestion.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, Jane. Well, now it's time to dig into the foundation of this religious experience that you're, you're kind of dealing with today in, in a more adult and complex way. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life?
1: Very young. My mother would take us to church. She wasn't particularly religious, but she thought it was important that we had a sort of uh, Judeo-Christian uh, foundation and, and church. My father would go along. He was more of the, let's just live a good life. My dad was more of the, you, live, you do the right thing because it's the right thing. And so we we went around. We kind of did church shopping for a bit. We didn't. We started Presbyterian, Methodist. Then the Baptist minister moved down the street. Oh, so at nine years old, I got a formal baptism and accepted Jesus as my savior. I remember kneeling on my bed because oh my gosh, you have to say the words or you're not saved, you know. Oh, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, thinking like, okay, I'm good now. You know, why
0: nine that, again? Nothing. I'm sorry. Why nine? I thought you said that because
1: it- the Baptist minister moved down the street, so we started going to
0: his church. I see. So you I see. So you had not been baptized before that, although you had um, been practicing in certain ways.
1: Well no, I the baby baptism at the Presbyterian church, but that doesn't count. Right. This is
0: the legit being born again, almost kind of saving. Okay. So this was a big deal. And your mother chose to go down this route when the Baptist minister moved down the street. Did your father also latch on at that point?
1: They liked him. I, I think my dad just went along because it didn't bother him, believe me. Then we went. Then I ended up somehow with a friend at a in high school to Lutheran church. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to tell you, but I liked the Lutheran church because it was. Uh, I liked the liturgy. I call it Catholic light. It had. I liked the feeling yeah. that you had been saying, you know, the Apostles' Creed and all this, because all the churches I gone to up to that point didn't really have it, and um, and so I. I did all that and, and, and went off to college, and like most people in college, I stopped going to church, mm. but still believed, although, as I told you, I was a philosophy major and had this, this constant battle. And then married my husband, who'd been raised in the church, Lutheran church. Never, My husband had believed. Um, the moment he was born, has never had any doubts, has never had any, you know, debate. It's like, okay, whatever. I don't know what your problem is. I believe it. So we married, and then when we started to have children, like many people, I thought, well, let's get them baptized and get them, get that Judeo-Christian framework for them, and it stuck with one and not with the other.
0: Hmm. So that's there's a lot of interesting stuff here. So first, I'm, I imagine your parents are not alive anymore right? they passed away, correct. Yeah. When did they, when did they pass?
1: Uh, my father was older. He was 49 when I was born. So he passed away uh, at the age of 83. Uh, he passed away in 1995. And my mother passed away 20 years later. Wow, wow. Can I, can I tell you a story about my mother's passing?
0: I would love to hear a story. Of <laughs> course. Right, if gonna... you're inspired to tell me, of course.
1: I'm going to start crying again, but I'm not. I'm going to suck it up.
0: You can cry. Lots of people well, cry on this show. <laughs>
1: I, I, it's it's not a pretty cry. So let's let's try and keep it. <laughs> That's intact. fair. That's fair. My mom was on hospice, and she uh, she was, was eighty eight. Breast cancer had returned. My mom was amazing. Fighter stubborn, never felt sorry for herself.
0: How long so had she, she been in remission? How long did she have a remission? She, uh, 17 years. Whoa, that's a and long And then he came
1: back and she still fought it off for another five years. She wow. was
0: wow. tough. Wow.
1: So it's, we're nearing the end and I'm staying overnight at her place. And then we have home health care workers who come in during the day. And it's um, right after Christmas time, right after Year's, actually. Jane, and, I'm sorry to
0: interrupt, but do you have siblings? I don't think I got that.
1: Oh, yes. I have a a sister and three brothers, but I'm the only one living in Southern California, which was near her.
0: Okay. So you're the primary kind of caregiver at this point in that way, or you're the primary familial caregiver, like attention giver. Okay. Yeah.
1: And uh, I was staying at night. And so she was days away. She was breaking down and I was supposed to get up at every two hours and give her either morphine or atropine. Uh, the nurse had taught me how to do it. And since I was a family member, I was allowed to do it. And it was near the end and I'm in bed and I got the alarm going off every two hours to get up. And if, if her breathing is labored, I'm supposed to go in and and give her some atropine. She's not conscious by the way. She kind of, so I, the alarm goes off and I'm like, man, I'm too tired. I, I listen. I'm like the breathing disease. I'm like, okay, no, I, I'm going to get up in another two hours. This is just a horrible daughter I am, but I'm, I'm so tired. I'm working full time the whole thing. And so I blow it off. And maybe a minute later, there is a thudding on my pillow. Wow. And I wake up, I look up and there's nothing there. And I like, well, the heck did I dream that? And I lay back and it happens again. And I thought, all right, God, I'll get up. So I thought I better get up and get down there. So I walked down the hall and I give her some atropine. And she, she survives another day. And that following night, when it's time to get up, I thought, well, I better get up. I'm not going <laughs> to risk yeah. another stud. And when I went in... <clears throat> That's when she passed, when I was there. Wow. And if I hadn't gotten up and walked in, I would not have been with her and held her hand. Wow. When she passed. And it was the most powerful, most beautiful. I felt so humbled and honored to do that.
0: Wow. And be there. What a beautiful moment. That's gorgeous. (sighs) Does she, in that moment, can she squeeze? Can she give anything back to you? No,
1: but... um,
0: But, I mean, obviously you're you're, you're there in tune with her breathing and her life, but I just was wondering.
1: No, but the last exhale sounded like my father's name. My father was Ed. Now, I don't know if I imagined it, but that's what it sounded like. Oh. And she was very much, in the last few years of her life, very much a believer in God and and happy to, like, you know, I've had a good life and I'm happy to go to the next life. And I just felt that read into it whatever you will. Those thoughts were real. Why? I think it was to make sure stick to the schedule because you're not going to want to miss the schedule. Yeah.
0: Jane, that is so beautiful. And so powerful. And so it is the essence of the type of thing I love to talk about. It's so mysterious and it doesn't matter if there's external experiential evidence. It is a truth as we as individuals understand truth. And it's just really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Oh, I'm glad I did. She would be very happy to know that.
0: What a lovely place to take the first break. My goodness. <laughs> Jane, we'll be back in just a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully— Discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everyone, we're back with Jane. And I just, I said, thank you off, Michael. Thank you again, Jane. That was just absolutely beautiful. And I appreciate you being so open to, to share such a lovely personal experience.
1: You bring it out of me, Nicholas.
0: Well, thank you. We want to go back to the choice you make after your collegiate years at USC and you're introduced to the philosophical framework, you're introduced to the deep thinkers, and there's this part of you that still feels certainly spiritual and also religious to the point where at some point you begin to identify or still solidify the identification with Christianity. So, how does that journey happen?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think the word Christian has so much baggage with it now. It's almost like I'm afraid to say I'm a Christian. I yeah. prefer, I think, to say I follow Jesus, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I think is often two different things. Now, believe me, 99% of the time I don't follow Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is like, hello, over here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm being selfish and judgmental and sarcastic. And believe me, I am so sarcastic and so judgmental and so snarky that um, my kids make fun of me when I say, oh, that's not very Christian of me. That's kind of one of our running jokes (laughs) because I say it so much. But I, I move into adulthood and then I go work in an industry, the news media, where Christianity is not highly... Rated or thought of, and to to identify as a Christian, people say unless you're working at Fox News that they think you all you need to work at Fox News that sort of thing. And then to go out and cover stories, you have to um, you have to cover the facts, you have to cover the story, you have to run after people, you have to knock on doors, you have to you know knock on a door, uh, your son's been murdered. I'm so sorry. Can we talk about that? We're from the news. You know, you have to sort of mm. do these things sometimes or even things where you are in sting operations, investigations to you mislead people as you try to get information. And I mean, I only do that when I'm convinced somebody is a criminal. But it's the sort of thing where there are times where I've not acted I put on my game face for work.
0: Well, I read, I mean, I'll just take one out. I read that you did an undercover thing about being a prostitute, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's... Okay, this is a great story. And it, and there's a tie-in. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I was working in Miami in the 80s, in the mid-80s. I was a very young reporter and working on an investigative sort of 60-minute show. In Miami in the mid-80s, man, you had everything. You had riots. You had boat people. You had the cocaine cowboys. It was just, you had Miami Vice. You literally had Miami Vice. Wow. So AIDS was up and coming, HIV. And and we decided to do a story on how many people out there are picking up prostitutes with this whole AIDS thing going on. Mm. And we figured the only way to do that was to pose for me to pose as a prostitute. Wow. Now, legal implications were, well, we're not going to, we don't have a liability. We're not going to put you out there with camera crew. So we had to coordinate with the real Miami vice, with their vice squad, and they would have a female vice officer undercover out there with me while I was doing my thing. It was very complicated because as a member of the media, I could not testify uh, in a trial because it, it would just look like I was an arm of the police if I did that.
0: Oh sure. You're not coming across as unbiased. Right. It's
1: like I'm what are you, a, r- a journalist or are you a, a cop? Right. So it was agreed that if someone solicited me, she would have to overhear it. So she would make the bust. So if I if somebody came up and solicited me, she would say, Come on over here, the car would pull up. And, and that's where the guy would be busted. And then the camera crew would come out of the van and we would interview him. Okay, now there's so much here that your flags are going off. We decided on the cameraman's side, we were not going to show their faces because they're not murderers, you know? I mean, they're just, they're Johns. So what would happen is the vice squad would make the arrest. We would come out and videotape the guy from behind while I would ask him questions like, why did you do this? Who are you? Well, don't you know about HIV? Believe, I was 24 years old. Okay, I thought this was going to be the most awesome thing ever.
0: It's amazing. You're 24.
1: Oh, i, I did so <laughs> many stupid things. This is another reason. It's why I a really in baller,
0: God. man. I mean, you're really like you're really <laughs> like full of steel. That's crazy. Oh,
1: well, hold on. <laughs> so I'm supposed to look like I'm a drug addict. And I didn't do a very good job of it. So I'm walking up this game boulevard, this part where prostitute's are, and the camera crew's hidden in the van, and nobody stops for an hour. Now, the vice cop, there are guys stopping every 10 minutes to proposition her. Nobody's stopping for me. And they are (laughs) laughing so hard because I can't even, I can't even, nobody wants me. So finally, Finally, this guy pulls over to proposition me. And I could have kissed him because I said, Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so the other female cop hears calls him around. They bust him. He gets out of the car. He is shaking. And the camera crew is out. And I said, Look, we're not gonna we're not showing your face. We are not showing your face. I'm a reporter. I want to ask you a few questions. And I've never done this before he was a minister. <sighs> He was a minister. And I said, we are not going to use your name. We are not going to show your face. But I do want to ask a few questions. And he, you know, I didn't tell this before. That whole thing. Oh, I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I felt so conflicted because, again, these guys are not murderers. But in fact, if they're going out and getting HIV and going home and giving it to their wives, in the mid-80s, we didn't know that much about HIV. It could be a murderer. Mm. And so on the other hand, I thought, no, this is a legitimate story. And it'll get the word out that maybe a few people out there will be terrified and figure, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pick up a hooker. If I do, I'm going to use safe sex. And we also be some well as well about their own fear factor. But that was sort of an interesting thing where the, the one guy, or at least the first guy, I managed to get a couple more later was a minister
0: of a local church. Wow. It's amazing that that still feels surprising to me, even though after everything we've been through, and we're not going to go down that road too far, but it's just... It's just so sad. It's just so sad that... I, I mean, it's such a large topic, but I just have always felt so sad that there are these people that choose this life and live with such hypocrisy about it. Well...
1: I mean, we're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. These guys, though, and women, they hold themselves, or they're supposed to, to a higher standard, which why we're either gleeful or horrified when they fall. And that's why I'm like, you don't, don't buy into the preacher. Yeah. Buy into the Jesus.
0: Perfect. This is great. I wanted to ask you this question, which was, when you say that you were, and I can in, maybe infer, but I want to hear it from you. When you say, I was a follower of Jesus, and I know you said 95% of the time you you didn't really live up to the standards you were holding for yourself, but not a Christian, follower of Jesus. When when you think back to where you were in your early 20s at this time, when you, you've left college and you've had your mind awakened, and but there's like one or two things when you hold true. What are those things for you at that time? When you say, now, Jesus is still my North Star. When you think about that, what is that? I mean, is it the constant just, be kind to others, you know, what, what? when you think about what makes you someone that said, no, it's Jesus still means something to me. What is that reason?
1: I would say two different reasons, then and now. Then it was just the, a love that is indescribable, a love that is so, not romantic, a love that comes from the depth of our creation which is that um, all all of us are God's creation. God loves all of us. And the word love is almost not even the right word. And loves so much that he, that he suffered the most gruesome and painful death to take our sin upon him. And then kick that can down the road and just come back and overcome it. But, but even just beyond that, just just love, and I would say in the last year since I've been embarked on this project and everything that's happened in the last year, it's just how radical he was. He was such a radical, and of course they were going to kill him because he was all about the last will be first, and you have got to give up everything. And this, this radical that I'm going to I'm going to have dinner with tax collectors. I'm going to touch lepers and cure them. I'm going to be with prostitutes, that yes, I love everybody, my father loves everybody, is the first guy who basically said, you can't take it with you. And it's so true, and all this planning and this and that and the other and hopes and dreams, instead of just realizing that God loves me, and I need to look at the person next to me and love that person the way God loves me. And that's very hard to do, and it, and, it, and it means you have to be in the moment right now. It's a radical—to me, Jesus, I love him now because he's such a radical. I, you know, you think of all the social unrest this year mm-hmm. and um, the people who who say they follow Jesus and those who don't. And then you have to wonder, well, who's really following Jesus and who isn't?
0: Yeah. That's definitely something I, I grew up with, I the liberation theology idea— the, you know, the Oscar Romero stuff. I mean, these types of people yeah. that when I, I studied in the Dominican Republic for a semester when I was in college, and it was very much about a retreat-oriented group and being in a place where you really were around. I was around marginalized communities, people in marginalized communities that, that suffer the empty holes of the economic landscape. And the message of Jesus lives in a way there that it, it feels alive, it doesn't mean that everybody there is, is a lovely person, even if you're marginalized, right? There are all kinds of people that are, we're duplicitous people, we're angry, jealous people, but it does feel like the message really lives in a place like that. It's easy to not feel that message in our world so much.
1: I agree. We've cluttered our lives with so many other things that, yeah, we're just, we have very cluttered lives. It's easy to block out what's important.
0: So, Jane, does this man get prosecuted, this minister? I mean, when you say, was he charged?
1: I don't know. Uh, He was certainly cited. uh, I think back then and probably now is still a misdemeanor. Um, So there is that sort of feeling of, well, I just ruined your life. And, uh, you know, there, there were many times like that where... You feel like you're a hanger on. I covered Columbine, which is, oh my gosh, oh, terrible. Wow. I covered the OJ Simpson trials, all sorts of things. But after Columbine, I just, my kids were still young, and I just decided I don't want to do any more stories on dead children. And that's when I made the move to CNBC to cover business news, where it's just money. And certainly there are tragedies aligned with money, and certainly there are many. Uh, challenges to face when you're talking about money, but I I really it was a good move for me to make.
0: Wow. I didn't I didn't know that about your journey. That's really interesting. I didn't know that CNBC came the opportunity came out of the desire to get away from just the most visceral horrors of of the day.
1: I mean when you're at Columbine and people were like, how can there be a God? And all, all this sort of thing. And it is tough, it is tough. Those are challenges. We've all had lost. Of, of people who should not who've gone too soon and, and but to go that way and just those the two young men and what was happening there that's when you know you do believe i believe i believe evil exists as a force there is evil it's not just oh there's something wrong with the way their kid was raised or maybe there's a chemical imbalance i do think there is this sort of realm i do even though i can't see it I sense it. I feel it that there is this battle going on that's bigger than what we see. And evil is part of it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. But again, that's another thing. When you say things like evil or the devil, those words have so much baggage. And people think of a certain type of person who says them. And maybe it's my own problem that I shudder to even say it. Like, why Mm -hmm. am I? Why do I shy away from saying, I am a Christian? Even just saying that right now, Nicholas, it makes me kind of cringe a little just because of what's been, what the word means, how the word is used.
0: Yeah, it's not, certainly not hip in our world. It's strange because there are so many people that identify in that way. There are so many religious people. I have dear friends that are practicing faithful Jews, they keep all of the holidays. I have friends that are practicing faithful Christians that keep all the holidays. And yet, look, there's been a lot of bad press and for legitimate reasons about the Christian church. And there's been a, a horrible history aligned with many, many choices in the terrible humans that have mostly men that have committed horrible acts in the name of Christianity. So there are reasons to hesitate when you're a thoughtful person that understands history. But at the same time, yeah, when you feel it authentically, it does seem strange that we have that reaction when we say things like that. Or at least I do. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're not the only one, I don't think. And and the evil thing is something I really think about too. I'm still... I love these conversations because I want to learn. I'm not in this conversation because I feel like I have any answers. I ask a lot of questions because I like to learn and I'm trying to figure out what other people think and I like having the conversation. The evil thing is something that for, certainly for a while I felt, no, I don't feel like evil is a force. That's what I've been feeling. But, you know, I hear you talk about it and I think, what does that mean? Maybe it's not the force in the way I think it is. What is she saying? You know, that's-
1: Well, but I have issues with, does hell really exist? Oh, come on. You right. know, what? other yeah. than for Hitler. Well, okay, then where do you draw the line? Yeah. And, and the whole thing, like the, the idea of hell that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Oh, come on. I, I can't I can't buy that. Uh, and then I think, though, well, if there is no hell, then what was the point of God sending his son here to take our son upon him to sacrifice himself and overcome it? What was the point of that? What was he saving us from if there is no hell? But I cannot buy into hell as the church has traditionally taught
0: it. Mm, I agree with that. But I also, I hear where you're going. You know, it's just because you're not buying into one thing doesn't mean you know exactly what, what the other thing is. Doesn't mean like it's... And that's so often the case. One of the great challenges I find about talking about religion is I can have such a clear idea that I don't believe this particular formal dogmatic idea but it doesn't mean that the question is then answered. Right. We move to a new level of mystery, and we so we each start to accept what level of mystery and what framework we... We move to, at least the way I view it with myself is, it just continues to be a landscape of mysteries that I choose where I'm comfortable living at any one moment. And some people like it really specifically written down in a way that it's been written down. And, and you're saying, and maybe I don't like it that way, but it doesn't mean that I'm not still thinking that that idea has resonance. And if it has resonance, then how would I articulate it? And that is what these topics are about.
1: I think you really put that well, the different landscapes of mystery. That's it. You're. It's still a mystery. It's still a mystery. And I don't, I don't really know what happens when we leave this body there's an energy and a force i think that i just don't think evaporates i guess we'll all find out
0: yeah well we'll talk about it later in 100 years (laughs) (laughs) all right jay we'll be back for round three in just a minute God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners and it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. All right, everyone, we're back in our final segment with Jane. And I wanted to get into something that you alluded to earlier, which is the dichotomy now that you're experiencing with your children. You have two children. You said one of them practices the faith or considers him or herself (laughs) faithful or Jesus loving or Christian and the other doesn't. So could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Both my children are adults. My son's 28 and my daughter is 30, and they were both raised in the Lutheran Church, and uh, she still believes. He does not. Uh, My son is married to a Japanese woman, and they have a beautiful baby boy, and so there's no structured religion there at all, and my daughter is engaged to a wonderful young man who is Jewish, but who isn't really practicing. So it's this interesting thing where I sort of always thought, ah, oh, you know, my kids will, you know, marry other Christians and all that sort of thing, and that's completely gone out the window. And they're fantastic and great for my children, which is the most important thing. And then part of me thinks, well, they're not, they're not averse. I mean, to going to church or Christmas or whatever, um, and uh, that's really God's God's job. You know, maybe this is a way, uh, and believe me, I'm not into proselytizing, but maybe this is a way for the word to spread to people who would have never heard it otherwise, and I don't know. You know what? I don't know what God's plan is, but that's his plan, and I love my children, and I love my daughter-in-law, and my future son-in-law, but it's all that has been something that I've had to at first be like, oh, they're not
0: Christians,
1: and get over it.
0: Yeah, that's, there's a lot inside that. And I know that because I've I've gone through this own my own journey with my parents. I don't practice with my family, although this journey through the podcast is my way of re-engaging with these topics and trying to figure out which ways I want to impart these ideas and what ideas to impart to my son. But yeah, it's strange. I can already feel the pull. And I have just a four-year-old boy, but I can already feel the temptation in me to be like, yeah, I want him to think exactly the way I do about this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm really into the way that I think oh, about this. and ready. He is going to think ready. exactly with me on this. And so I, I have an inkling, just the beginning of what that awakening might be and that it will be dissatisfying at times when did you first get the idea that you're like oh maybe this person's not grabbing on to this idea the way that it works for me
1: oh it, when they're high school you, you just get ready when they're teenagers I mean, my son my son is a captain in the Marine Corps and it, it became clear that he he was not really buying into this and for me it's most important that my children Believe in God. Just know that that there is a God, and that they have they have a relationship with Him, and that I just have to pray for. And I have the feeling my daughter does, but my son. It's funny. I said to him, "Do you ever pray?" And he said, "Only when I have to fly in an osprey." So I thought, <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> that's something. Right.
1: So when it comes right down to it, you do pray. And that, that meant the world to me. So, again, it's it's not my job and it's um, not my uh, responsibility or ability to make them believe one way or another. And I hope for my grandson to be exposed to the stories. The stories in the Bible uh, are filled with so many lessons. And they're such great stories, no matter what your belief system is. And I, as a grandmother, you know, certainly my daughter in law doesn't care. She's fine. Read, read them whatever you want. She doesn't look, they don't have a problem with it, but it's not something that's front and center in their lives. And I have to just stand back and say, it's not my life. It's not my faith journey. It's their faith journey, whatever that is.
0: When you get to the point where you begin to see your children are no longer your domain. Right. There, I guess it's high school. Maybe I'm trying to think about myself. I mean, boy, at sixteen I was I was trying to do kind of whatever I wanted to do. I'm sure there's some sort of grieving period, some element of wow, I'm, you know, my Mm. job of this is shifting. And I understand that this is just this is just the way of life. I know this. I, I I remember it from the child's perspective. And I now have to prepare myself as much as one can for it to happen to me. (laughs) Was there a choice where you began to see this moment where you're going, well, you know what? Now it really is about me defining for myself or answering some questions for myself. It's back to me now. It's back to me and the things I need to think on. I can't, I've given them everything I can give them. They've taken whatever they wanted to take at this stage.
1: I think you're right. Yes. You, you reach a point where they don't need me anymore
0: and
1: there is a process. And so, Part of part of the process is, you know, teenagers are horrible, so you don't you don't grieve so much, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. The break becomes a bit easier. They go off to college and then you're really terrified at first and then you're fine. And then you realize are you look at your as my husband and I look at each other like, well, wow, hello. It's yeah. back to us again. And it really is them thinking about, okay, you come into this world all by yourself. You're gonna go out all by yourself. So where do you take yourself and and re-engage with God in a different way? Much more to me now in a surrender of uh, not these fervent prayers of keep my family safe, which I make and all that, but sort of like, God, you know, thy will, not mine. And that has been a lot of what this whole Top Story Tonight Jesus has been. It's been about surrender where I wanted to be successful. Do you? I thought you wanted to do something that, you know, might make people curious about Jesus. So yeah. why is it all about you being successful? So those sorts of things happen now. I'm trying yeah. to surrender.
0: Perfect transition. And I certainly understand this idea. You know, you're doing something that's specific and, and nuanced. And also uh, it's in a world where you've already talked about it. It's hard to get people to religion is is so touchy in so many ways. And there are so many different ways of being religious and being touchy about it. There are so many ways of being non-religious or a-religious and being touchy about it. You know, so just from a marketing perspective, you're looking for this specific demographic that's into this idea. And it is, you have to let go of that and remember every day I'm telling myself, I'm reminding myself, why do I do this? You know, I do it because I love these conversations. That's why. But beyond that, sure, you want to have, you want the show to live and, you know, to have life. Let's talk about why. Why did you do it? You know, you, you said an idea. What, what idea was it for you that said, okay, I, if I have this question, then maybe others have this question.
1: It's not what you think it was. So many years ago, I wanted to write a teleplay, my goodness, a screenplay, we're in Hollywood, retelling the stories of the Old Testament as if modern media existed. So reporters cover the creation of the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, they hire Johnny Cochran to handle their appeal to get back in, Flood with Noah's on the Weather Channel, Jacob and Rachel and Leah are a reality TV show, David and Goliath are UFC, this kind of thing, sort of like using... News writing to retell these stories and bring these great stories of the Old Testament alive. And I even had my kids in their Sunday school class. Uh, we made a little video of some of them. Wow. So I had no idea what to do with that. I mean, in the early 2000s, there's no market for anything like that. Fast forward to podcasting, which I fall in love with. And I fall in love particularly with scripted podcasting and theater of the mind. And I thought maybe this would work as a scripted podcast. And I, I got a bunch of friends at KFI and sort to make Genesis chapter one, the creation week. And it was hysterical. You know, I mean, oh, now we can see. No, thank you. Now there's light. And so we, Adam is on Sports Center and he's not very bright, all this kind of stuff. So I use that as like a pitch and go to some podcasting companies I know. And they both say this is a great idea but, quote, nobody wants religion.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's interesting. But one woman who was at Amazon Audible, she's not there anymore, she said, but why don't you do something like the Mayflower? Which, by the way, has religion all over it, but I didn't want to tell her that because it was a brilliant (laughs) idea. (laughs) So two years ago, I I wrote and produced a six-part retelling of the Mayflower story. I did a lot of research about what really happened. And I had Native American voiceover actors play the Native parts, and they, you know, on this side of the Atlantic. And I had a bunch of people I hired to do the pilgrims and their investors and on and on. And we retold the story. Now, it cost me a ton of money. I even, like, had someone score a Hamilton-style hip-hop musical number. It was funny. I got Michael Horse from Twin Peaks. Well, it did okay. But it wasn't like it was enough for anybody to sponsor it. So I was interviewing in 2019, a CEO, a female founder of a company, and we had a technical glitch in the middle of the interview. So we had to chit-chat for about 10 minutes. And I said how much I enjoy interviewing founders because they're so passionate. And creative. She said, what's your passion? I told her the story I just told you. And when I said about the the person said nobody wants religion, she says, hold on. She said, if you do something on Jesus, I'll help sponsor it. Now, Nicholas, this was a bolt out of the blue. Wow. I said, okay. A day later, one of the cast members from Thanksgiving said, what are you going to do something on Christmas? Mm -hmm. So I felt like the forces were aligning. Two other friends said, put it on Kickstarter and we'll kick in, which gave me confidence. So I did. Raised more money than I uh, expected. Oh, thank you, Nicholas Ah Stegoso. And also, (laughs) amazing the people who never would have expected non-Christians that gave. And so I created this podcast. Then I had to market it. Okay, so I'm so controlling you while I'm trying to surrender. So controlling trying to surrender. Mm. I feel like I have all these media contacts, nothing. Nobody wants to touch Jesus with a 10-foot pole. Mm. So I say, God, I'm turning this All right, if this is a failure, I got it. And then two days later, the Wall Street Journal sent me an email saying, can you tell me more about this podcast? Wow. And so that's how I got that marketing out. So that was one of those, when you surrender without expectation, when you just surrender and put it in God's hands, just go with it. See what happens.
0: Wow. It seems like you became more comfortable. Even though you express some discomfort, you're expressing your faith. You're expressing... Your beliefs. I understand there's mystery involved with these things. I understand that the the edges are gray and ragged, and I understand that you you don't want to be boxed in or defined, and I get it. But at the same time, do you feel like there was a an evolution of your faith through this process? I mean, was there some? Did you come out of this a different believer?
1: Yes, I think coming out is such a great phrase because, in the one sense, I came out as a Christian, Mm. and that was, I'm not living in some place where you get persecuted, my goodness, to be a Christian in the United States of America, you're in the majority religion, but it was still very scary for me because I didn't know how people were going to react, again, caring more about what people think than what God thinks, and I think the other part of it is At the end of this, with all the reporting I did and the interviewing I did, it made me feel more confident in the choice I've made to believe. I've stopped worrying, at least for now, over whether it's the correct choice, the right choice, the real choice. And I've decided that it's my choice and I'm making it wholeheartedly.
0: Oh, Jane, that's great. Thank you so much for this really beautiful, in-depth, thoughtful, revealing, vulnerable share. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. This uh, I was able to put in words and things I don't think I've ever verbalized before, maybe even to myself. So, thank you, Nicholas.
0: Ah, oh, what a joy! What a pleasure! And um, to all of you out there listening, thank you very much.
1: Lutheran church, never question my dad. My my husband, excuse me. Oh, I said my dad. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're getting deep. Well, here. I'm not
0: sure I can go there. <laughs> uh okay. <laughs>